Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the HR Tech Chat video podcast. And with me today, I have very special guest, Steve Goldberg, who is a longtime HR industry analyst, advisor, and thought leader. Welcome, Steve. Graham, thanks a lot. Great to be with you, as always. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the feeling is mutual. Um, I uh, sort of sitting here in rarefied air, I, I feel. Oh, um, yeah, I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. And we have uh, some really interesting, we've had all sorts of industry co- interesting conversations, the two of us uh, sort of offline uh, over the past uh, many months, uh, especially, but, but we, we landed on something that, that, that you shared with me was uh, very important uh, to you. And I think it's a really especially interesting topic. And um, what we're calling it here is five opportunities where HR technology can make a difference today and, and over, over the next several years. Um, maybe before we hit on that, just that's to whet our, the appetite of our, of our viewers, uh, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, it's really fascinating uh, and you have a lot, just a wealth of expertise to, uh, to share. Yeah, thanks, Frank, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I like to say uh, what makes me unique other than uh, my personality is, uh, and it's not that I've been in HR, HCM and HR tech, uh, for uh, about four decades now, but it's it's really the uh, diverse set of lenses that I'm able to bring uh, when I talk to customers uh, and clients, either on the vendor side or the buyer side. Uh, and really, uh, the diverse set of lenses is rooted in the fact that I spent 15 years heading up HR systems for financial services, most specifically investment banks in the US and in Europe. Uh, and the CHROs that I reported to really uh, at, a, at a young and tender age right out of grad school, uh, the master's in HR, not that I uh, really applied anything from back then, but uh, the credential, I guess, helped me in terms of getting uh, relatively senior jobs at a young age, particularly in investment banks. In any event, um, the CHROs that I reported to uh, felt very strongly that I needed to immerse myself in pretty much every HR products, uh, and, and so then I could properly have the uh, the foresight and be able to manage risks and opportunities as it relates to you know then deploying technology to, to automate and enable those processes, and work closely with my teams and kind of uh, we could all learn together. So they were really great experiences. I did this at Kitty Peabody, Payne Weber, Solomon Brothers, mm. and, uh, and in Europe at Swiss Bank Corporation. <laughs> So 15 years of that uh, then uh, led me to uh, take the role of, take the reins of heading up strategy at PeopleSoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I crossed over to that, uh, to the vendor side, and then did something entrepreneurial after that and co-founded an applicant tracking software company. And really for the last 15 years, or else it would take much too long to give you the, you know, uh, the details of, of 40 years, but really for the last 15 years, I've been mostly uh, serving as an industry analyst and advisor. I was an analyst at Burson and Associates, wound up giving the, the keynote at Burson Impact 11 years ago. And, and more recently, relatively speaking, I was uh, the HCM practice leader at Fantana Research for the last four and a half years. 
so I'm on my own now, and because of my agent stage, I'm going to probably not be an employee anywhere else, but I'm having a blast, and I'm having a pretty robust year. The relationship I have with 360 Insights is one of those relationships I, I truly value, and it's, you know, just having a good time. Fantastic. And uh, we value the relationship with you as well. And, and, and I'm just struck by, you know, all the different perspectives that you're able to bring to your, to your, um, your view on HR technology, the HCM industry and all of that. And I think it's incredibly useful and, and, um, and, and important and important. Uh, so you have, you bring a really unique voice. Um, Getting to the topic that we're that we're talking about today, and and forgive me if I stole your thunder. I just couldn't wait to share it. <laughs> um, five opportunities again. Five opportunities where HR technology can make a difference uh, today and and in the future, the coming years. Um, what are some of you want to get to the five of them? What, but if you were to kind of just kind of sew it all up in sort of a, a overarching statement, what is what is what is some of your thinking here? Yeah, thanks. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the first one I'll mention is not, you know, I guess it is one of the five, but more broadly speaking, uh, it's, um, it's a thought I've had for a long time now, uh, because it's, it's really the byproduct of mashing together the vendor perspective and the customer perspective. And what I'm referring to here is, you know, the vendor perspective is, Yes, we want to serve our customers. We want to address market needs and opportunities, but we also want to be profitable. And to be profitable as a product company, uh, you better be productizing as much as possible because you can't have uh, kind of these one-off road products that's just too darn expensive to, uh, to support the infrastructure around road products. So productization is one of the hallmarks, let's say, of the, of the vendor uh, you know, world. And then when you look at the customer world, uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't fit neatly into their mindset. Yes, they understand that uh, certain of their processes are going to be standardized, uh, but they also, most customers think that they're, you know, they have these nuances and these idiosyncratic requirements and a very standardized product, uh, you know, that's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the common uh, elements in what most organizations do for recruiting, for performance or learning or comp or payroll. Uh, and, but, but you have customers that are saying, yeah, we, we do a lot of those standardized things and common uh, kind of, you know, common requirements, but we also have the, those that are unique. And that's, that's where the gaps usually are, uh, you know, between productization and unique requirements. And so that is an area that I have now started to think about differently. I'm now thinking about it in the context of can machine learning help? Uh, and so that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, how do you bridge that gap with machine learning? Because uh, machine learning can, in theory, bring, bring to bear best practices. Uh, uh, whether it be specific to that, to that customer or in general, to the industry. This is how those gaps are bridged. Um, so, you know, we need to try to 
serve both masters, serve both agendas, the customer and the vendor. So that's that's one area. Uh, and, and another one that I think about is um, what I call line manager enablement. It's it's a phrase that I started using when I was at PeopleSoft. Uh, why did I focus on it so much? And I'm surprised even fast forward to today, it's not even, uh, it's not getting anything close to the attention I think it needs. Yes, it's bandied about, not necessarily with those words, but we got to focus on line managers. It's a very important stakeholder group. Yes, but why is it important? It's important because uh, the HR department typically uh, only comprises about 1% of the organization. How can you possibly scale and be uh, have a finger on the pulse of the needs, interests, and goals, and potential, and issues, and challenges of, of every employee in an organization, every worker, when you 1% of the organization? So line managers have to be uh, viewed as a critical way to listen to employees, to listen to the needs, interests, and goals, and balance them with the needs, interests, and goals of the, of the, uh, of the, of the enterprise. So uh, whether it be in the context of change management or a steady state kind of uh, operating environment, line managers need help. And, uh, and that recognition, I, I think, is, is, increasing, uh, is increasing out there. And I think technology providers and you know, product companies are thinking about how can we help line managers uh, allow organizations to be more agile uh, to, uh, whether it be again, kind of in a highly fluid situation or a steady state situation. So line management enablement, line, man, line management enablement is another one. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's more, but, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm yeah. not kind of giving you the summary level, but I'll let you speak. <laughs> Sorry. Uh -huh. You know, it, it, now that we're into it, this, this is super interesting and let's just keep going. But I, I have one question here, um, or, or an observation, uh, because because line line manager enablement is uh, super interesting to me, um, and and I share your uh, puzzlement over why it hasn't kind of um, taken off more. Um, it occurs to me that a lot of H HCM technology isn't necessarily you know uh, best left solely in the hands of the HR department. Not because the HR department. I mean, the HR department is obviously capable. It's just that you know, like you said, they typically are one percent of the organization, maybe even less. Uh, it's around that, right? You just you can't scale. You know, <laughs> as much as you want, you can't scale to really be there everywhere the employee experience is happening. And that's that. I guess that's the other piece is that we've yes. had the emergence of the employee experience taking on so much importance in the past couple of years. Uh, in the wake of this pandemic, especially, but it was brewing beforehand, right? Big time. Um, line, that, the employee experience, the line manager is much more closer to all the other employees' experience than the HR person is. And I've, you know, we've seen, so you mentioned uh, some, you know, technology that might be emerging that could help to empower the line manager. Well, we've seen it, you know, uh, and you have two, obviously. And I think it may come down to analytics and, and I've seen, um, uh, you know, I have seen products uh, launched in the past year or so where they, they kind of combine people data with, with operational data, which, which isn't not, which is not not people data. But, but the point yeah. being is that it is to deliver very um, uh, pertinent information to the people closest to that. Yeah. 
to yes. their employee experience. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree, Brent. Uh, I, uh, you know, what we've heard, you know, new terms used really in the last couple of years and, you know, probably ushered in by the COVID era. Uh, yeah, the word empathy has been used in the past. The phrases like listening more to employees have been used in the past. Uh, but boy, they really come to the fore. Uh, and so, you know, if you really think about it in a real practical way, uh, whether it be through exit interviews or, uh, you know, glass door reviews or the fact that you are, as an organization, not having a lot of uh, success in terms of recruiting the best talent in the industry, it could be all kinds of signs. Could be your standard dashboards, could be surveys, could be sentiment analysis that's picking up on words uh, and themes in anonymized, uh, you know, emails and discussion boards. But whatever it might be, the key is it's a twofold. It's a twofold dynamic. You have the cues and the signals wherever they're coming from, and then what do you do about it? And then what do you do about it is what we're talking about here. The HR department cannot scale to systematically be everywhere, particularly in a global organization at the same time. So the line managers have to be really in the middle of what do we do about it? What do we do about the fact that engagement and uh, engagement is going in the wrong way, retention is going in the wrong way, mm -hmm. uh, that you know we introduced a new benefit plan and now people are leaving in droves. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of this, you have the, you know, all, all encircles the employee experience theme. Uh, but I think these are really important. And I think the more product organizations start to think in these terms, I think we'll all be better served. Yeah, I have to agree. I have to agree. And and, and HR can be, you know, in, in those types of situations, HR can be, you know, the mentor or the um uh, or the 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 coach, the coach for the line manager with, you know, that expertise and and what you should do next and these sorts of things helping. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of fertile ground there. I, we have three more, three more to get through here though. So I wanna make sure that we keep moving here because sure. I'm looking forward to, the, to, the, to what they are. Sure, yeah, so this one uh, has a tie in with line managers and uh, because it will take me too long to get into, uh, you know, to get too granular about my background because I've been doing it so long. But uh, I also had an opportunity to work for Wayne Huizenga, the late Wayne Huizenga, who uh, in the history of America or the annals of American business, I think he's the only one that founded three Fortune 500s, uh, Blockbuster, uh, Waste Management and, and Automation. But he, he actually uh, acquired over 500 companies. And in the year and a half that I was head of HR M&A in the HR department, uh, I, I learned an awful lot. And, and one of the things I learned is that there was notes, and we're talking about right, uh, the two years right before I joined PeopleSoft. So yes, it's a long time ago, but I've been a student of M&A and the people aspects of M&A ever since. And one of the reasons why is because uh, I try to be an advocate uh, on behalf of customers and buyers <clears throat> trying to get more technology to help in the realm of, of, of again, the people aspects of mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, you could think of any kind of moment that matters in the, 
you know, for the enterprise. Uh, and so it could be an M&A business integration side of the M&A, or it could be a corporate restructuring or going into a new line of business or what have you. But uh, change management is the horizontal that and, and the common thread that cuts across all of it. And I don't believe uh, the words change management and uh, and the words HR technology have too often been found in the same sentence. Mm. Uh, uh, with the exception of we're rolling out new HR technology, or isn't there some uh, some change management we have to do to uh, to try to raise the, you know elevate our chances of being successful? I'm not talking about that relationship between tech and and, and uh, change management. I'm talking about actually using tech to help in a change management program or exercise. Uh, and so we know that you have big boulders within a change management life cycle, like uh, at the front end, assessing organizational readiness. And then you have, and, and you have skills and competencies and attitude and all of that. And, and then you have boulders around communications and you have guidance that line managers need when uh, invariably their team members come to them and say, uh, I don't see uh, my role being that important in the new regime, or there's redundancy and there's likely going to be layoffs. And should I be looking? What, uh, what, what kind of guidance can you give me? A lot of line managers haven't been through that. They're not experienced in that situation. And those are pivotal moments. Every one of those interactions, particularly if it's a key employee or even an employee that's well-connected or uh, kind of a brand ambassador, uh, those are all critical. And um, yeah, I think HR technology can play a much bigger role relative to that front end of assessing readiness and also all the way through uh, of assessing risks, retention risks, uh, risk of, of, of engagement, uh, employee engagement and productivity waning, and just the guidance around communications and personalizing those communications. I think it's, it's fertile ground and that's an understanding to be honest. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing that came to mind um, with the example you shared of the, you know, the the uh, the employee seeing their role and thinking, well, gosh, I might be redundant here. Should I, you know, those kinds of tough conversations, and uh, it made me think this is a this is this is parallel. It's not exactly what would necessarily be used, but I think of you know the kind of technologies now that. Uh, you know, that, that, that facilitate and support uh, continuous performance management, which is I've seen called enablement instead, um, these sorts of things where, where maybe you have a, so like a tangible example of, of, a, of a technology, a new sort of modern progressive technology for, for people performance um, being used as a, or even a slack or something like that, right? Something a, a less, um, you know, specific with it, with its, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's application, right. Being a way to kind of, you know, provide, uh, provide conduits for those conversations, for the conversations to have, to, to happen. Totally. totally. And it, it, the notion of kind of codifying, uh, best practices, what do you do in these high risk situations? I mean, to me, that's one of the best times you want to uh, start, you know, having a repository of best practices that you can 
that you can access is high risk situations, whether it be your own personal life or certainly in, in, in the life of an organization. And, and again, those major periods of change are high risk. There, uh, I mean, if you just look at the research out there, really the last 30 years of research, most of these moments that matter for the enterprise either underperform or fail. Uh, it's been as high as 70% of major M&As underperforming or failing. If you go down to like corporate restructurings, going into a new line of business, it might be more like 30 to 50% underperforming or failing. But boy, it, like I said, it, it, you know, if, if that, if, and even if you have one line manager that has cracked the code and figured out, here's what they're going to say, to employees that come to them with very specific questions that they don't have an answer to. They don't have an answer to whether or not their job is gonna be redundant. And, and one of the things that I learned it kind of in real time was, uh, and this was back when, uh, when Simon & Schuster acquired Macmillan Publishing. Hmm. And, um, and I was part of that. Uh, I was a consultant to Simon & Schuster, to the head of HR Simon & Schuster. And, um, and, and basically, what he advised me to do was just let people know the date at which the plan will be communicated or different milestones of the plan, as opposed to saying we haven't figured it out yet. And just that little bit of, uh, of transparency and communication goes such a long way in terms of building trust and calming people down or more kind of highfalutin way to say it is kind of compressing that period of destabilization when people are very distracted. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the highfalutin way of putting it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, I, I know we got two more to get through, but just one one more observation. It's just super interesting to me. Um, it's going to sound like it's coming out of left field, but over the weekend, I was watching a YouTube video while I was washing ditches um, on my smartphone perched upon the, the windowsill in front of me. And it was a, it was about Three Mile Island, the uh, the old uh, yeah. you know nuclear plant accident way back in 79. I went to school in Buffalo. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, I've driven through there a couple of times. Uh, yeah. So they were talking about how the actual accident after the initial sort of lack of, of, you know, of knowledge of what had happened, they, they actually quickly, relatively quickly figured out that it, yeah, it wasn't good, but it wasn't going to be that bad and that it was all going to be contained and there would be very little, you know, radiation. I won't go into all the details, but suffice it to say that all of the fear and all of that, all that um, uh, took place or occurred or played out because of the uh, poor communication by the, uh, by the spokespeople. And they were in, in, in one, it was a very analogous thing to, you know, um, just saying when the next update will come versus kind of saying, I don't know. Uh, and somebody at one point said, I don't know. And it was regarding how much or why should I have to know about that around some sort of radiation possibly emitting? And that that's when it so you know, whether what's in whether it's in business or you know, MAs or you know, a nuclear power plant uh, accident, right? Uh, <laughs> if you have there's some best practices to to uh, to to do here. And they're not rocket science, you know. I mean, who's not going to shake their head uh, affirmatively when you say, boy, you know say that that makes sense and yet uh some of the most uh kind of basic common sense ways of dealing with challenging situations evade us 
us as organizations. And uh, and and maybe this you know this little talk we're doing today will help a couple of them out there. Yeah, hopefully um, we move the needle. I, I don't know how much time we allot for this. This is the first one I'm doing with you. Do you want me to move yeah, on? Let's, let's keep going. We have we have uh, we have uh, more time. Yeah, yeah. I want to get through all five. Yeah. Sure. I don't. I lost count of how many we've done. I we think we went. To, that was the third one, I think. What's that? That was the third one, I think. Okay, good. Don't ask me to recap the three. Uh, so uh, let's see. The fourth one, I would say, is the P word, P for planning. So oh, yeah. you know, of course, there's different uh, pillars that relate to that P word, and you know, it could be workforce planning. It could be strategic workforce planning, where there's more kind of cross-domain linkages, cross-functional linkages, linking the HR planning with business planning. That, that's when you get into the realm of strategic workforce planning, uh, but also compensation planning. So one of the things I had to do, which was really, I have to say, where the action was in HR and investment banks was I managed the bonus process. And when you manage the bonus process for investment banks, and I wasn't the head of comp, I was the head of HR systems, but uh, but believe me, the uh, the investments in HR systems was almost entirely justified in those organizations by getting through the bonus process unscathed. <laughs> you can so, imagine. Uh, you know, so I, I learned a lot. I mean, I went through this at four different investment banks, and uh, you know, and, and and one of the things I learned was, you know, commercial off-the-shelf HR systems really were not designed to do some of the things we had to do. And even if you fast forward to today, I would say you have to look. They're out there, but you have to look uh, for some of the capabilities I'm about to uh, articulate. One is, you know, the ability to, uh, with some nimbleness, if that's a word, uh, so. be able to define pools, pools that you're going to place employees into then allocate a percentage of the pool to them. It might be a salary increase pool, it might be a variable comp pool, equity pool, bonus pool. And those pools uh, are more, uh, a bit more complicated than senior executives, mid-level executives, professionals, and non-execs. It's more complicated than that because you have to account for employees that you want to invest in. So it's going to be high potentials. It's going to be employees that have the types of skills that are the future of the company uh, and, and so forth. So a lot of thought has to go into creating the pools, figuring out how much uh, you're going to allocate in the aggregate to those pools, particularly when in an environment like financial services, perhaps 20% of the total spend is already guaranteed uh, much, of, much of it to executives. Uh, uh, and, you know, or people that have targets and they're not going to make their targets. So there's a lot of, because you're allocating, you're taking from Peter to pay Paul or Mary to pay Sue. So, you know, so there, so you have that aspect, the front end of, of compensation planning. You have some of those nuances around strategic workforce planning. Uh, you have, and last one I'll mention is, you know, succession planning. Why is it that uh, it's hard to find uh, even one of the major HR tech providers uh, giving you capabilities right out of the box that allow you to combine recruiting or elements of recruiting with uh, succession planning, specifically yeah. 
You know, you have a successor, a, a successor candidates from inside. Well, how about we, you know, we interviewed a couple of uh, senior level candidates, uh, you know, potential candidates for the CFO, CTO role um, that are not ready to make a move now. We don't have anybody ready to make, uh, you know, to be promoted now to that C-level inside, but we got to keep that candidate long. We got to do candidate relationship management and combine the view of external candidates with the view of internals. So uh, bottom line is a ton, in my opinion, a ton of opportunity in planning and all the, uh, and all the pillars that, that, that planning breaks out into. A ton of opportunity to create short tech. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm with you on that, the planning aspect and, and uh, having that, that sophistication of, of capability and, and the areas that you, that you kind of highlighted there. One thing that comes to mind uh, with, uh, you mentioned pools, you know, whether they be, you know, uh, variable comp pools and salary pools and, and whatever, right? And, but also the organization understanding, you know, who inside their internal workforce, um, that says redundancy, excuse me, they're in their workforce on their team already, right? Who has the skills uh, that they're going to need in the, that the organization will need in the near and maybe midterm future, right? And you see a lot of these self, uh, what I think, all roads lead back to AI as I, a word, a term I like to say sometimes these days, but um, you see some of these self-evolving AI fueled uh, skills ontologies. And, um, and to me, this, this is, this is really pay dirt for a lot of uh, organizations that are going to be able to do a lot of the stuff that you just described, which is so important. Yeah, I totally agree. Ontologies, yeah, I'm big on those uh, adjacencies and skills equivalencies. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of one other thing, you know, in, in this in this period of, uh, of a lot of uh, change, I call it max fluidity. Uh, was there something called max headroom? Some reason? I, I remember max headroom. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know why I remembered that, but uh, max fluidity. Uh, and, and, and the period, uh, it's also a period of a lot, you know, a lot more uncertainty uh, in so many ways. You don't know who's coming to work the next day. Uh, or who's going to decide to go and be their own boss and, and architect their own lives. Uh, so what does that mean? I mean, so we have to, um, within that sort of unpredictable, highly fluid operating environment, things like business plans change, business priorities change, the quarter was, you know, we blew it out or we didn't do as well. And then what, there's a cascading set of effects. Certain skills become more important, certain skills become less important. Uh, that impacts who, who and how we're going to recruit. Where do we get the people that have that skill that all of a sudden became more important? This all really relates to planning. Maybe I'm overdoing it in terms of connecting planning with all of this, but I think it's just not linear and it's not overly concrete and it's not a well-defined process. And maybe that ties back to the very first one I talked about, non-standard processes. Yeah. Oh, no, that's that's a great insight. I think you're absolutely correct. Um, yeah. And we could talk about this a lot. I'm looking at the time and we have one more to get through and I want to make sure we get to it. Yeah. Thanks. So I appreciate that. One of the frameworks you mentioned, one of my hats I wear, even as an independent that's in theory trying to scale back a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> One of the hats I wear as an analyst, uh, and I got, kind of got this from uh, really having to 
the good fortune of, of being able to work with Josh Burson and some other great analysts uh, 10, 11 years ago at Burson and Associates. You know, one of the things I learned from Josh is frameworks. <laughs> the magical word is frameworks. Uh, because, you know, you're introducing new concepts. It's really good. Uh, the frameworks are, uh, you know, are the best way to get people to relate to these concepts that maybe they haven't been introduced to. And so one of the frameworks that I've created in, in recent years was the AI and HCM framework. Uh, and it has five kind of categories of use cases. Now I'm going to get to one that I think is a golden opportunity that's not getting as much investment as, as maybe it should. But my five categories of use cases for AI and HCM are the three Ps. Yeah, well, I'm kind of obsessed with the P, letter P, I guess, lately. But uh, so the three Ps are personalized, predict, and prescribe. Personalization may relate to learning, may relate to how you're dealing with candidates, even rewards, you know, prescribe what's, what should we do given these different options, uh, predict retention risk, uh, engagement is going to go down. Uh, and, and then the next two are uh, understand, you know, understand why uh, productivity is going down, understand why people aren't accepting our job offers anymore. And then the last one is the one I want to highlight, and it's curate. Curate, uh, I put it in the context of any resources that will help me be more productive in my job. So obviously, that could be kind of learning content that's ideally kind of served up to me in a personalized way, the medium that I want to use, the pace of learning, et cetera. But, but how about mentors and coaches and resources that, you know, courses I could take outside the organization? Uh, I think that there's a huge opportunity. And, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of algorithms that are needed for this. It's just a matter of what are the needs, what's the ask, and, uh, and, and, and have the technology kind of uh, go out and scour internally and externally what are the best resources, whether they have people resources, content resources, or what have you. What do you think of that one? Uh, I think that's a good one. And, and, and you know what I like, um, partic what's particularly interesting is I think you're right. That we don't need, necessarily need very sophisticated algorithms for this necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, so what's, what's stopping us? I use the royal, the royal us. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of priorities. And there's been a lot of uh, um, applications of technology in the HCM, HRH, XM world uh, already. And it's, it's, it's one of these things where it's almost circular. You roll out solutions to problems which are never perfect in any aspect of life, as we know, but in the world of HR tech, you, you, you know, 20, 30 years of rolling out solutions. And as organizations and, and customer and users are using them, they find the gaps, they find more ways that they can apply if only there were these new features and functionalities. And so that's kind of the, uh, the footprint that's good and bad. Uh, we're covering more ground with HR technology, but the more ground we cover, it's giving people ideas and the ideas they're getting and going back and lobbying vendors with relate to the existing applications, extending them, expanding them, filling in gaps. It doesn't necessarily relate to the new frontiers that we're talking about uh, because the context isn't necessarily there and there's enough to concentrate on with what's already there.
Does that make sense? Yeah, make, that makes a lot of sense. There's, there's, um, there's, there's not enough, you know, uh, you know, mind space um, yes. uh, for them to even for them to fathom it necessarily. You know, point it out to them, and they they may indeed think, oh, right, yeah, we should be thinking about that. Maybe we'll move the needle a little bit uh, for a few people with this podcast in that regard as well. That'd be great. Yeah. I, I hope we covered five. I lost track, but I always enjoy speaking with you, Brent, whether it's uh, recorded for, uh, for eternity or not. <laughs> this is uh, well, this one is recorded for eternity and, and this was a fantastic podcast. Thank you so much uh, for sharing all your knowledge. And, and it was five. I kept track. I, I don't know how I did, but somehow I did. And it was it was five and uh, so much, uh, so much information. Uh, so useful to our viewers. Uh, really looking forward to uh, to uh, making this one live, which will be soon. And uh, and thanks so much for joining us. Steve. Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Take care. Now. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye.